Hello again, my fellow apes and monkeys. This is Uncle Silverback, also known as Tony. I'm your host for the Armed Ape Podcast. Today is September the 11th, 2010. It's a Saturday. And uh, before we get into the show, I'd like to remind everybody to take a moment and just think about what happened on that day nine years ago uh, and remember the people uh, who were killed and also the people who uh, made sacrifices to go in and help uh, the people that were trapped and and not just the police and fire although they did a commendable job but uh, also the you know the average everyday man the, the person who's just like you or I who couldn't say I'll just stand by and, and watch people suffer so uh, lest we forget so please take a moment and just uh, reflect on I guess not so much on the tragedy of it but on how many of us in the country willingly put out a, a hand uh, to our fellow man all right so let's go ahead and jump into I guess kind of the part of the show where we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about if that makes sense on a couple of shows ago I had mentioned that I was looking at getting a tomahawk and um, asked if anybody had any experience with them or you know what they kind of maybe thought were good and bad about them and we did get a voicemail on that so I'll go ahead and play that in a little bit and uh, on last show at, uh, I think on show 20 one or 22 i can't remember which one it was but anyway on the toward the end of that show i talked about some silent movies that i had watched and so that's what i'm going to talk a little bit about today uh before we do that stuff and jump in let's go ahead and get our contact info out of the way if you'd like to contact me you can do so a couple of different ways you can call the voicemail uh, which is 206 Three three nine three two six six, or you can uh, send me an email over at thearmedape at gmail dot com, and you know again, you you don't have to necessarily do a review. You can just call in and say, hey, you know, this is so and so from Kansas or whatever. Uh, but if you do have a review, and you don't have a lot of recording equipment. One thing that's nice about the voicemail, because it is five minutes, and you can leave two or three if you need to to do a review, uh, is you can call up and leave me a voicemail, and then I can just edit everything down and uh, drop it into the next show. Also the same if you want to email me an MP3 of stuff that you have recorded, or if you want to just do an email. And again, this could be on reviews or on anything. Uh, and, and again... Don't think because of the name of the podcast is the Armed Ape that you can't do a review on, like you know, like we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about some silent movies and some uh, some of the history and some of the stuff too of of what it was like when I was growing up and I uh, kind of sort of became more aware of stuff in the in the real early seventies, you know, um, and that's when I grew up was in the seventies and things were a lot different as far as how you could how you were able to watch movies and things like that so uh let's see here let's go ahead let's let's talk about that tomahawk real quick and before i do that we'll go ahead and play the voicemail that i got and this is going to be from nick in georgia 
Hey, this is Nick in Georgia. This is in a reference to a tomahawk on the Armed 8 program, I think. I love my tomahawk. It's a revolutionary pole hawk, and I think I got it from Crazy Crow Trade Post about 15 years ago. I don't know if that company's still around or if they still have a catalog, but it's great. It's somewhere between a hatchet and an axe. You do a lot of work real quick with it. <clears throat> These things were designed by people that were using them. The modern stuff is good, but like I said, tomahawks and the old tools were designed by people that were using them every day. Anyway, if you can get a tomahawk, get you a tomahawk. I think you'd be well served, and I think that works a lot better than a Campax that'll just sweat you to death. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for that, Nick. You know, you made some really good points, and especially the thing of, you know, that these were things that were... Uh, tools that were carried and used by people and they were using these things on a daily basis and they were uh, they weren't necessarily using this uh, inside of a factory or a shop this is stuff that they would go out into the woods with or out into the wilderness with and space was at a premium for these guys and a lot of these guys chose uh, to get a tomahawk and to have a tomahawk now a lot of people think that the tomahawk uh, or the war club or something like that is something that you know originated with the uh, Native Americans in uh, in the states. Uh, the reality of it is, is while they did have war clubs and and uh, stone axes and stuff like that, pretty much a small light axe um, was used in most cultures. Uh, most of the iron stuff didn't come over until some of the Europeans started coming over and introduced iron and things like that to the to the native tribes. Uh, and once they got them, uh, they were able to, uh, they adopted them quickly because they saw what a good versatile tool that they were. Now, I've done some brief tests with the tomahawk that I recently purchased, and I um, was watching YouTube, and I, I came across this guy, uh, and he had uh, Cole Creek Forge. If you you can look him up on YouTube and uh, you, under that name Cole, so C O A L Creek Forge, and you can see him actually forging and making a tomahawk. And he talks about uh, you know how the kind of what the process is and and uh, sort of some of his philosophies on making it and things like that. And uh, so that's who I ended up getting it from. Uh, he has a, a store on eBay. If you go to eBay, you can look. And I'll also uh, take some pictures of this and put it up over on the Facebook page at um, under the uh, the Armed Ape page, the fan page over there, so you can see some of that. Um, I've I've done some brief testing with it here at home, but I haven't actually taken it out camping yet. I'm gonna go. I think. Uh, when it cools down just a little bit more, I'm going to head up north and do a couple of uh, maybe weekend trips and things like that where I'll take it and I'm going to really put the thing through its paces. Most people, when they think of a tomahawk, um, think of, uh, again, kind of a smaller axe blade in the front and then usually a spike in the back. Uh, a lot of times the the uh, tomahawks and things from... Uh, that the mountain men would have had or, or from the Revolutionary War era would have had, uh, they wouldn't have necessarily had a spike on the back. Most of them, the eye where you're going to put the handle through 
where the handle goes through, would have just kind of wrapped around, and then if they needed that to, um, they could either use the, the flat side of that or the back of it if they needed to use it as a hammer. Uh, what I The one that I got is what you would call a pole, P-O-L-L, back to the uh, to the back of the hawk and it's basically just like a small uh, square-faced hammer that that's on there uh, some guys prefer not to have anything on the back and keep it much like it was uh, you know back in history when they used them uh, some guys prefer a spike um, and some guys prefer the hammer so I'm gonna see kinda which uh, which thing that I like the best another thing that I like about it is you can actually take the head off. Uh, you can just kind of bash it on the ground, so it's not um, the, the end of the, the the end of the handle is wider than the eye. So you, once you slide it on, it's not going to fly off as if you're using it to chop or anything. But if you need to do some fine work, and I've done a little bit of this, you can take the the head of it off, and then you can use that and get a pretty decent grip with it and uh, do some fine shavings. Um, and like I said, I, I think what I'll do is I'm going to hold off on doing really kind of a big review. I haven't done as much testing and things as I would like to do with it, so I haven't really put it through its paces. And uh, maybe in, a, in another month or so, I'll be able to really do a good review on them. So a little bit more about the Hawk, and then I'll talk about the, the uh, gentleman that made it. The handle is made from a wood called Osage Orange. And when you, if you cut it when it was green, uh, or a fresh, uh, got a fresh uh, piece off of a tree, and you initially cut it, it's it's kind of a yellowy color. And as the wood ages, and as it kind of dries out, it turns into a, uh, a orangish, orangish, excuse me, brown color. Uh, so right now, the handle that I have is. Uh, is sort of still that yellowy color, uh, but you can tell uh, spots on it. It's going to start to turn and age into that orange, which is it's going to be a really nice looking handle. Uh, and also the length of the handle on this one is 24 inches. Uh, I think most probably tomahawk handles, probably the average is around maybe 18, 19. Um, I actually I think I'm going to prefer the longer handle. Um, and the style that he made the handle in was kind of the, a traditional handle from the 1800s, probably that would have been used uh, pretty pretty regular. Anyway, uh, the guy who did the uh, the blacksmithing is a guy. His name is Stephen Liley. And again, if you go on to YouTube, um, or you can go on to uh, what is it, Blade Forums, and uh, he he I think he goes under. Coal Creek Forge, but again, if, if you go onto YouTube, you can actually see him and see him doing some work, and it's all going to be one word on YouTube, so it'll all just be Coal Creek Forge, and that'll pop up. He's got about, oh, I don't know, 15, 16 videos or something up there, um, but it was nice to be able to actually buy this from you know uh, somebody that is an actual person, and is, you know, it just wasn't some huge... Uh, production run of stuff that's stamped out or anything like that so and it's it's nice to you know it's hard to to buy stuff made in America anymore and it's nice to give my money to uh you know an American craftsman a guy that uh you know 
worked hard and, and put a lot of effort and time into something like this. And this is something that, you know, should last me for years and years and years. Uh, let's see. Well, let's go ahead and let's take a quick little break right now. And uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll uh, get into some of the silent movies and some of the history and stuff of uh, when I was growing up as a kid. And uh, we'll also play a uh, voicemail that we got from our friend over at the B-Movie cast from Vince. So go ahead and give this song a listen. Hope you enjoy.
All right, let's go ahead and jump in. Before I forget, that song was called Hooked on Gasoline. The name of the band is called Bitch Queens. If you want to find out more about them, you can go to their website, which would be bitchqueens.com. Uh, I found them courtesy of Mevio, which is a, uh, a podcasting uh, music service. In fact, that's where I get most of the music for the shows that I do is through them. Or uh, There's also another place that I like to use called Jamendo, which I think I used a song uh, from their uh, music catalog, I guess you could say, uh, on the last show. So let's, uh, before we go ahead and start in with our discussion, I did get a voicemail from Vince, and he's got some uh, suggestions and recommendations on some of the silent movies, and so let's go ahead and play that, and then when I uh, when we get back from that, we'll go ahead and start talking about some of the silent movies, and uh, I'm also going to give a little bit of a, kind of a theory on why some people just they just can't watch silent movies, and even some people can't even watch uh, or don't want to give, I guess. Uh, some of the movies that are just black and white, which of course all pretty much all silent movies are going to be unless they've been colorized. Uh, but even if a movie is black and white, they don't want to give it a chance. So let's go ahead and hear from Vince. Hey, Tony, this is Vince from the B-Movie cast. Just listened to episode 23, The Armed Ape. It's a really cool show. And at the end, you were talking about maybe doing a show on some silent films. And I love the silence. I think we might have done one or two, but... Uh, you were talking about the um, Unknown and the Todd Browning and Lon Chaney uh, collaboration movies. They're great. So that would be uh, some for you to do. Uh, there's one called Where East is East. Uh, there's one called West of Zanzibar, which is really good. Of course, you mentioned The Unknown. There's one called The Road to Mandalay. It's a really good one. Another one is The Blackbird. And, of course, The Unholy Three from 20, 1925. There was also a remake made with Lon Chaney, and I think it's his only talking role, and I believe he passed away right after that. So uh, some other ones, are, of course, are not brought to, The Golem, and, um, of course, Metropolis. So that's just some food for thought. Uh, like I said, we like the silence, too, and I uh, love Lon Chaney, and I'd, we'd really love to hear you do a show on that. But uh, that's about it. Keep the shows coming. Good work, bud. Talk to you later. Ciao. Hey, Vince, thanks for the voicemail. It was great to hear from you. Uh, now, Vince had mentioned several really good movies in his voicemail there. And what I'll do is I'll go over on the website, thearmedape.com, and I'll put a list of those movies that he mentioned. Some of those you can find through, if you have Netflix, you can find them through Netflix. Some of them you may be able to find on uh, different sites like uh, Hulu, or even some of them may even be on YouTube. Um or, uh, I think, I, I don't know if I'd mentioned before, but archive.org has a lot of those movies, and especially if they're, if they're public domain movies, you might be able to find them there. Uh, but, any one of those movies that he mentioned pretty much would be considered uh, classic movies. So, if you, watch, if you were to watch any one of those, they're going to be uh, movies that have kind of stood the test of time, so to speak. And even though, and even though they're silent era things, if you'll just give it a chance, I think that you'll 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 get something out of them. You'll be entertained by them. You'll like the stories. Uh, now, what I'm going to do on today's show is talk a little bit about uh, 
um, the movie He Who Gets Slapped. I know I had gone over some of that before, but I'm going to go into it on the last show, which was number 23, I believe. Well, on the last, uh, and, and I, I did some review of it, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail and talk about some of the subtleties and things like that. Uh, and it will have some spoilers. And I think what I may do uh, is I'll give a, a spoiler alert along the way so that you can fast forward. Or I may even do the spoiler stuff at the very end. Um, so I don't know. I'll, I'll see how it goes as I kind of babble on here. Before Vince's voicemail, I talked about that I was going to give sort of my theory on why so many people, number one, they don't like to watch a movie with subtitles, which of course silent movies have. Number two, they don't want to watch a movie that's black and white. So right off the bat, a lot of silent movies are going to have things, are going to have those two strikes against them. So most people aren't going to want to watch those. And if you if you take somebody who's oh, probably maybe five to ten years younger than me and who didn't grow up in, in the 70s, they're not used to, when they were kind of, what they were used to watching on television and when they would go to the movies, they were used to seeing things that were in color. But if you look at, at the era back when I was growing up, uh, which again would have been in the, in the uh, early to late 70s and stuff, when I was a kid, a lot of the things that were on uh, syndication, so the reruns, you'd have had reruns of uh, the Andy Griffith show, reruns of, um, let's see, I'll name off a bunch of shows. Um, uh, let's see, there's a spinoff of that, which was uh, uh, Gomer Pyle. You had um, a lot of the westerns that were on, some of the older ones, you know, things like Have Gun, Will Travel. Um, things like Gunsmoke, but a lot of the comedies as well. Things Leave It to Beaver, I Dream of Jeannie, uh, Lucille Ball. The uh, I guess I love Lucy. I guess that's what it was called. Uh, a lot of those, of course, most of those shows were all shot in black and white. And I grew up watching a lot of those older shows. And uh, of course, you know, on, along as I was growing up, alongside with shows like Happy Days and Welcome Back, Carter, and all that other stuff, which were all done in color. Uh, but I didn't really have, it wasn't real hard for me to switch back and forth in between black and white and color. And I think most people today, they don't, they want to have their stuff in color. And they for sure don't want to have to read anything. Um, but kind of also going back to when I was a kid, you didn't have a lot of channels, there wasn't a lot of choices. Uh, and the channels that I had growing up, we had uh, the the big three networks, which was ABC, NBC, and CBS, and then you also had PBS. And uh, occasionally, and it would depend on where you grew up, but usually those were about it. Sometimes, uh, I think as I got a little older, uh, you would have stuff like um, UH, the UHF channels that would come in, and a lot of those would show a lot of the older movies and things like that. But even on the at late nights on the weekends, you know, ABC and NBC had the late movies and the late late shows, and those were all times were going to be horror movies, or were going to be maybe some of the old black and white gangster movies, uh, some of the old stuff from the '40s, '30s, and '40s. Um, you also had on Saturdays when I was growing up, uh, a lot of times you would have huge blocks after the cartoons, kind of in the. Uh, the the mid morning hour through 
uh, the late afternoon, they would show tons of stuff, uh, kind of almost almost like the horror host stuff, but uh, they would just be, uh, oh, you would have uh, like adventure adventure movie hour or something like that. So, and they showed lots and lots of black and white, lots of the the old sci-fi stuff. So I again, I grew up where watching something in black and white wasn't a big deal, uh, and I as a kid too. A lot of the things that they showed on PBS, sometimes they would show a lot of the old, oh, the old uh, black and white comedies that were from the silent era. So you had stuff, guys like Laurel and Hardy. You had um, a lot of the things like, uh, oh, what was his name? Um, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. And um, oh, what were some of the other big ones? Uh, but anyway, but basically those guys. And so I kind of grew up, Again, and I had a real fondness for especially the Laurel and Hardy stuff because they were so slapsticky, and um, you didn't. Re- and that's another good thing about the silent stuff is when you think about it, they really can go across cultures and go across language barriers because the, most of the stuff that you see, you can figure out. You don't really need the flashcards that they're that they're popping up. Uh, but anyway, so I got used to as a younger kid reading that stuff, and so for me. As an adult, to go back and watch the silent era movies, I don't really have a big problem with them. And uh, But I think most people who are a little bit younger than me, or even the ones that are older, we've gotten so used to having, uh, you know, having the stuff the way that we want it, um, that you hardly ever see anything that's black and white anymore. Occasionally you'll see some independent movies that are new, that are made in black and white, but usually they would be considered, you know, either, like I said, indie movies or kind of art house movies type things. But again, with this with this show, I'm, I just would like to get people out there just to give some of these movies a chance. And, and uh, if you watch some of them that were, again, considered to be the classics, you know, things like uh, Nosferatu, um, Metropolis, The Golem, um, especially The Unknown is just a really good movie, and I may do a review on that sometime in the future. Uh, but like I said, the the list that we got uh, from Vince, I'll go ahead and put on the website, and we'll go from there. So in looking at this movie, let's go ahead and we'll start off with a, a plot synopsis, and we'll talk about the movie and what happens. And I'm going to be pretty detailed with this, so I guess I should say right now that this will kind of be, uh, it'll have some spoilers in it. Again, this movie was released at the end of 1924. Uh, and I know that's been out for a long time, but there may not have been that many people that have seen it. And this one is a tough one to get a hold of. I was able to see it on uh, TMC. They did that, and uh, I had never seen it before. But uh, I really enjoyed the movie. So anyway, uh, it stars Lon Chaney, and he plays a character named uh, Paul Beaumont. And uh, he's married, and his wife's name is Maria, and she's played by an actress, Ruth King. Uh, there is a, a Baron. Well, the the movie opens with is uh, Paul Beaumont is a, a scientist, and he's a pretty uh, brilliant guy, but he doesn't really have any patronage, and so uh, somehow he and you're not really ever told sort of how they meet up. But somehow the Baron, uh, who's a guy who has a lot of wealth and influence and power, is a uh, 
has become interested in furthering science. And he somehow, and again, we're not really told how, he meets up with Paul Beaumont, uh, who is Lon Chaney's character, and he says, hey, I'll be your patron. I'll basically sponsor you. You, you guys can come and live with me on my estate, and I'll set you up, and you don't have to worry about anything. And you can just concentrate on work. So we don't know really how long they've been there with him, but it, it, you kind of get the sense that it's been a while. So also, one thing that was really neat about this movie that I liked was it would say... You would be introduced to a character, and then it would it would give, and then a flashcard would come up, and it would say, you know, Paul Beaumont, uh, a scientist whose whose two main loves are uh, his wife and his work. And then underneath that, it had who played them. Then so underneath that, it would say Lon Chaney. So it was really neat because you got some uh, some character insight and a little bit of character development from that those those quick little flashcards that popped up. Uh, so anyway, getting back, um, they've been at the house for a while. The movie opens up, and Lon Chaney comes in, and he's like, "I finally, I finally got my proofs. I've got all my theories lined up. I'm ready to go to the academy." And uh, you know, everybody's all happy, and he goes to his wife, and and he tells her, "Oh, you know, we're gonna be, we're gonna be famous, and I'll be able to continue my work." And then he goes over to the Baron, and he's saying. And you can see the sincerity in it. And he's like, oh, thanks so much. Without you, you know, none of this stuff would ever happen. And, and I really appreciate your friendship. And, and, and uh, if you can arrange for the meeting at the academy, uh, then, uh, then I'll be able to go ahead and present this stuff. And a little bit of an aside here. I think the academy at that time would have been a thing where if you had a discovery and you had somebody who could kind of get you in and get you in front of the, the the scientific community, if your work had merit and was valid, I think what the academy would do is you could get like a stipend from them so they would sort of set you up uh, or you would have maybe a place at the academy where you could come in and, and do your work and, and further uh, your scientific research. So that's one of the things that Lon Chaney says to his wife is basically that we're, we're going to be set for life once I get this stuff up and going. So he is exhausted. He What he does is he has his papers because he had showed him the, and he takes his papers and he puts it back in a safe and he's got the key. And then he and his wife are going to go in and turn in for the night. So he's exhausted and after he goes to sleep, the wife takes the key and comes back out to uh, the Baron, who's uh, Baron Regnard is his name. And then that's when you see, uh-oh, something's up. And the Baron, then it shows a scene where you see this hand that opens up the safe and takes the papers out, and it's like thumbing through the papers. So you know basically the gig's up. Also at that time, you know that uh, Maria, Paul Beaumont's wife, and the Baron are actually having an affair. And of course Lon Chaney is oblivious to all this stuff. So they, and again, I don't know how much time in the film is supposed to pass, um, but what happens is, is they arrange the meeting. So I don't think it's something where they, they do it the next day. I think some time has gone by and I think that what you're kind of as an audience member is maybe supposed to infer or take into account is that the Baron has some interest in science. And so he's, he's somewhat familiar with Beaumont's work. 
but when he gets the papers, he's really able to go over those and, and figure out all the ins and outs of it. So anyway, uh, they go to the academy, and they're in front of the academy, and the Baron is down sort of in front, and he's presenting all the stuff. And then Lon Chaney is sitting down kind of on the on the lower uh, the lower floor, I guess, uh, where the podium is. He's kind of by oh, in front of the podium a little bit. And the Baron presents the stuff, and Lon Chaney is kind of like, and then it comes to the end of the, the presentation, and Chaney's like, well, what's going on? And he's confused because he hasn't been introduced or brought up or anything. And so then the Academy people are starting to give the credit for the discovery uh, to the Baron. And then Lon Chaney kind of blows his top and he's like, no, 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 this is my work. I did this stuff. And, and then he goes to the Baron and says, if you're my friend, you're my friend, you'll, you'll tell them that this is my work. You're not going to take credit for this. And the Baron just dismisses him and says, you know, this guy, didn't know he's out of his mind. He was an assistant that I hired. This is my stuff. You know, don't let this guy fool you. And then Cheney's really starting to blow his top. And then the Baron just slaps him across the face. And Cheney's really taken aback by that. And he, you can tell he's getting ready to do something. But then everybody in the, in the amphitheater where they're at basically starts laughing. And that really kind of, it, it stuns them, you know, as much as the, the physically getting slapped. And then he leaves. And kind of as an aside here, you know, if in a movie today, if we saw somebody, uh, you know, slap someone else or hit them across the face, we would just see that kind of more as a hit. But back then, I think that it really, it, it was a real insult for one man to slap another man. Uh, because it was it was a real number one it was a real dismissive thing um, but it was also a thing where back in the day I think that would have been more uh, of an acceptable way to chastise either a woman or a child and so for one man to slap another man across the face what was again being really dismissive of the time was basically saying you're really beneath me you're not an equal of mine, you know, you're like a woman or a child, uh, which in that society, in that time, you know, women and children didn't have a lot of power or influence. So anyway, after everybody laughs at him, he takes off, he goes back to his wife, and he's, he's telling her, I can't believe this stuff is happening, and, and blah, blah, blah. And then later, uh, the Baron comes in, because here they're back at the Baron's house, so the Baron comes back to his estate, and, and then... Cheney expects that he and his wife are going to leave, and then that's when he gets another bombshell dropped on him that his wife is, she's going to stay with the Baron, and she basically tells him off and says, you know, oh, you're this, kind of this little person, and you don't, you know, you don't have any power or any wealth or anything. And basically she's telling him, I'm going to stay with the Baron and live up the high life. Uh, and then that's sort of the end of the first, I guess maybe the first act or something. And it picks up a few years later, and we find that, uh, Beaumont has joined up with a uh, has joined a circus, and he has an act, and the act has actually become uh, quite successful and quite famous. And what he did is he kind of took that trauma of him being slapped, and he has that in his act. And uh, his name that he goes by is just the pronoun he, and his act is he who gets slapped. And so that's again where you're going to get the movie title from. And in the act, he comes out and he's a clown. And there's these couple other clowns, and he's doing all this stuff, and uh, the 
the production and the little show that they put on actually is really it's really pretty cool. Um, they have tons of clowns out there, but there's these two clowns and then that are on either side of them when they finally kind of come out into the ring, and he's starting to point stuff out. And then one of these clowns that are on his right and his left each take turns kind of smacking them and slapping them, and of course the crowds are going wild and all this stuff and and uh, that's sort of the act and it ends with him there uh, they they tear his heart out he's got a little heart that's sewed into a, a costume and at the end of it they tear it out and they throw it on the ground and and then they come and they take him away and all this other stuff but uh, so as with any circuses though there are many different acts and one of the acts that they have is a, a guy who's a, a trick writer and his name is Bazano and uh, or Ben Bizano, I don't know how you would pronounce it, but anyway, um, he he would be considered probably the you know kind of like the young, good-looking leading man guy. You know, got the the good looks and everything. And uh, we're also introduced to a new performer who's going to be coming to the circus, and her name is Consuelo Mancini, and she's the daughter of a guy who has the title of count, but that's pretty much all they have is just sort of the title they don't they don't really have any wealth or any power or influence or anything like that so uh, Mancini has gone to the circus owner and said you know uh, this this she'll make a real good addition to your to your circus and blah 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 so she gets accepted in and of course the trick rider who's going to be working with her is, is totally smitten with her and you also see that Lon Chaney is attracted to her uh, but he kind of keeps his distance and everything. Uh, now, as Lon Chaney's act, has, as they're going around, his act is becoming more and more famous, and he's actually a really big draw. And they come back into uh, to the town where the Baron lives, and he comes to see uh, comes to see the act. And uh, of course, he Lon Chaney because he's in clown makeup. Nobody really knows who he is, and and so nobody recognizes him. Well, Lon Chaney sees that the Baron is up there, and uh, he kind of flips out a little bit. But also, we see that every time that he does this act, kind of in his mind, he relives sort of his humiliation and everything. And the Baron, uh, like I said, spies um, Consuelo at the. Uh, at the at the act and he kind of becomes smitten with her and uh he the the father meets up with the baron and they uh, and then the daughter starts sort of seeing the baron you know and all this other stuff and what what uh consuelo's dad wants to have happen is he wants the the uh, the baron to marry his daughter and he's like uh because that will then he'll be able to have wealth and stuff again so he'll be able to kind of rise up a little bit kind of basically pimping out his daughter and uh, meanwhile uh, Consuelo is sort of seeing um, Bizano but you kind of realize through some of the dialogue that she has that um, she kind of in 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 one regard sort of knows which side that her, her bread is buttered on because she understands that if she does marry or if she does kind of go with the Baron as well or goes with a, a variety of different men that she'll be able to get things from them that she can use her beauty uh, to help further her own needs so you do see her she is a, in my opinion was a little mercenary in this as well but not near as mercenary as the father 
Um, now later on, as as the as uh, the Baron and and, uh, and Consuelo and Count Mancini are all going out, they're starting to develop a little bit of a relationship. And so the Count is like, well, hey, like I said before, he wants the Baron to marry his daughter. And, and later he goes in and approaches the Baron and says, you know, uh, uh, the Baron had um, had given the daughter. Uh, I think maybe like a diamond necklace or a pearl necklace, and that's when the um, when the count goes to go see the baron, and he gives the the jewels back and says, "No, you're not gonna." Basically, saying you're not gonna be able to sleep with my daughter and do whatever you want for the price of these jewels. It's gonna take a lot more than that. You need to marry her, and of course, the baron is like, "I'm not gonna marry her. She's just some some low life circus performer." And then you really see like the pimp nature of the dad because then the, the who is Count Mancini says, yeah, but think how beautiful she is and think and basically tries to convince him saying, you know, you're going to be able to uh, have her on your arm. She's going to be eye candy. Your, your status is going to go up because you've got this beautiful young bride. And so the guy's like, yeah, OK, I'll go ahead and do it. So. Later they come back, um, the Baron and the Count come back to the circus and they're going to kind of break the news to uh, Consuelo that she's going to need to marry him. And um, Lon Chaney sees him there. And I'll kind of kind of skip to the end now. That's sort of like the, the end of the maybe the second act. The third act really kind of starts when they're back at the circus. And since Lon Chaney's in clown makeup, he... Um, is kind of screwing around with these guys coming up to him and talking to him and getting in his face. And, and the Baron is kind of like, what's going on here a little bit? Um, oh, oh yeah, I forgot another really good scene. Once the Baron decides, and then we'll, we'll come back to when he gets to the circus, but once the Baron decides that he's not going to be, that he's going to marry Consuelo, well, of course, he can't have uh, Lon Chaney's wife, his ex-wife hanging around, Maria, because he never married her. He was just She was just basically his mistress. And there's a scene where it opens up and you see this check and it says, you know, for X amount of money. I don't remember how much it was, but and then it kind of it pulls out and you see her, the Maria, Beaumont's wife, is looking at the check and she's kind of stunned. And then he kind of looks back at her, giving her this look like, you know, hey, uh, you know, you knew this might happen. Uh, you know, the, you, you roll the dice, you, you take your chances. This is sort of the game that we're playing. And. And so here's some money, and so you go, you know, go screw off. You can go pound sand. I'm done with you. Found somebody better. And then you really see, like, kind of her kind of shocked and disappointed and everything because now she knows. She has some money. Um, the amount, again, I don't know. It, you know, it wasn't like he gave her in today's money $500,000. But he, he probably gave her something comparable to today's money, maybe you know, maybe around like 50 grand or something. I don't know. But or, but maybe that the money that he gave her back then would have been enough to set her up for a couple of years or something. But anyway, so they're back at the circus and Lon Chaney sees him and he's going in and he's, he, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Count, who's Consuelo's dad, so Count Mancini and the Baron are kind of in a backstage area. And, um, the uh, uh, Lon Chaney goes in there, and the Baron and the and the uh, the Count are drinking. And they're they're saying they're toasting about you know to the upcoming wedding and everything. And so, uh, and this is kind of the spoiler part. So if you if you don't want to know how it ends, um, we'll 
go ahead and, and just you know you can you can stop listening here uh, for the movie and just kind of fast forward if, if a little bit. Oh, and there was also another scene that uh, I know I'm kind of jumping around here, but I'm doing this stuff off of memory. Um, there was another scene, a couple scenes that were really really powerful. One of them is it's at at the end of when you see sort of the the performance and how it goes for the first time of what Lon Chaney's act is. Like I said before, at the end they actually take his heart out and they his little heart and they throw it on the ground and they kick it, they dig a little hole and dump it under there and stomp on it, and then they go to get his body and they put him on this little stretcher and when they pick him up his body just stays there and it fades out. Uh, and so like I talked about that was really neat and and at the end of the show um, he goes he goes out there and everybody's gone and so he goes back out. And he he knows where his heart is buried, so he picks that goes out and picks up that heart again, and he's kind of dusting it off. And most of the lights are out except for one that's just kind of on him. And then it 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 flashes over to you see a guy who's like shutting down the lights and and putting the circus kind of to bed, so to speak. And you see the thing; it's just right on Lon Chaney, kind of on his his face and shoulders. And then that guy clicks the light, and boom, it fades. It just clicks right off the black. Uh, which in the context of the scene works really well and is really powerful because you really get a sense of of how alone this guy is and how heartbroken he is. And what happens too is at the um, on his in his costume, it's it's just barely sewn on. He's got that little pocket where his heart is. And usually Consuelo goes and will sew that back on for him, and she talks to him about you know kind of her life and what's going on. And he. You can tell when she's sewing that on, he he he's totally in love with her. He's infatuated with her. Um, and then there's another part where, bef- before she's gotten the news that that she's going to be expected to marry to marry the Baron, um, she's talking to him a little bit about um, this Bizzano character, and 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 he's saying, look, you know. Uh, you need somebody that's going to take care of you and who's going to cherish you and all this other stuff. And then he kind of lays it out for her and says, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who will do that. I am I can take care of you. And part of the, the thing that we, and you understand that he would be able to do that because in the context of his act, his act is getting bigger and bigger and more famous. He's a huge draw. So that uh, earlier in the movie, they had, they were some of the other clowns were talking to him, and and, and they were saying something like, uh, and I think he was maybe even talking to Consuelo, and she had brought up this point again, saying like, you know, you're so big, you're the biggest thing here. You should leave and go to a, a bigger circus where you'll get more money and more fame. And he was like, no, nah, I just I just want to stay here. And I think part of it is is once that she showed up, he kind of does want to stay there. Uh, but anyway, so. He lays all this stuff on the line that he's, you know, that he, he's really pouring, pouring his heart out to her and saying, uh, excuse me, I hope that didn't, I bumped the microphone, I don't know if that picked up. But anyway, he's, uh, he's pouring his heart out to her and at first she's kind of, she's looking at him and she's kind of like, what the hell? And she doesn't really know what to think and you can tell in her mind, she's, you could you can see it on her face that she's like, what is wrong with this, what is wrong with this guy? You know, he's too old for me type thing or you know what makes him think I would go for him and then it kind of she kind of has a shift and clicks and she starts laughing at him because she thinks that he was doing it as sort of a joke to kind of cheer her up and so she's like oh you really had me going you always cheer me up you're never serious and man it is just a sucker punch to the nuts for Cheney um he so again he's bam he's devastated again 
and again you, you watch his face and you watch his body movements and again a lot of this stuff is going to be kind of grandiose but in the context of the movie and, and even in his performance the performance that he gives on a lot of these scenes would hold up today they would they would be a, a valid uh mode of action of acting excuse me a way of emoting and stuff like that that would that would hold up in movies today uh so let's uh let's jump back now to where again the count and the baron are back kind of in the backstage area in this private room and uh lon cheney has gone in there and he's kind of messing with them and stuff and he gets really pissed off and he's like you know you're i'm not gonna allow you to marry her uh, this is ridiculous. And once, once he finds out that the um, the count is basically pimping off his daughter to the Baron, and the uh, they kind of get into a fight, and the um, and, and meanwhile, Lon Chaney has kind of locked some of the doors and stuff. They get into the fight. The count has a uh, walking stick that's also a sword cane, and he ends up stabbing uh, Beaumont. He ends up stab, stabbing Lon Chaney's character. Well. What Lon Chaney does is, uh, prior to that, he kind of had set this stuff up where um, there's also a lion tamer act uh, that's part of the circus. And what he does is one of the doors that opens in to the room, uh, when he when he was getting ready to come in, he kind of did a plan on the spur of the moment is that he um, he goes and he and he takes the lion cage and he rolls it up right up next to the door and then he releases the trap the the closing door the trap door on the lion cage so that if anybody opens that door from the room where the baron and the count are the lion is going to come in so and he does that before he goes in there uh, and, and again he gets in the fight with him they ended up stabbing him he kind of fades off to the side and collapses and then there, the one door is locked, and they can't get out. And so they're like, "We got to get out of here." And they go to where the, the lion is. There's the door, the only other door they can go out. And they open the door, and boom, the lion springs out, and uh, ends up killing um, the uh, uh, killing the count first. So Consuelo's dad ends up killing her, killing him. Excuse me. And then it kills the uh, the Baron. So, and then the lion is getting ready to come over to Cheney, and of course he's been sort of stabbed in the side, and uh, he's he's basically just said, you know, what the hell with this, I'm going to accept my fate, and I got my revenge on both of these guys, I've kept her away from a marriage, and I've, I've uh, rid her of her father, of, you know, of Consuelo, who, you know, who's going to take advantage of her, and the lion's about ready to come over there, well, meanwhile, the lion tamer lady comes in, and she sees that the cage is up there, so she kind of pulls it back, bursts into the room, and she's got her whip and stuff, and she's able to drive the lion back into the cage. Well, meanwhile, the, the show is going on, and so uh, Lon Chaney's character, Beaumont, goes out, does his show. Things are a little bit different. He falls down. Uh, and again, remember at the end of, the, of his act, he kind of dies in the thing. Well, he actually goes out and actually dies on out in the ring and they all think it's part of this act and he does things a little bit differently and they think oh he's changing it up we'll just go with it and then at the end they they one of the couple of his clown buddies that he does the back work they kind of realize wait a minute he's not acting something's really wrong and so they rush him off and then you know but he dies out there and that's that's pretty much how it ends 
Um, so I hope you guys, even though I kind of gave it away, and I know I jumped around back and forth, hopefully it wasn't too confusing, but like I said, I was going off of memory. Um, the one that I watched, and again, it was on TMC. I don't know if they'll ever show it again. Uh, it's really hard to find this movie. I, I haven't found it anywhere. Uh, it's not on Netflix. It's not on um, Hulu and some of the other things. There's a site called... Um, I think it's called gooba.com you can go to, and that does, it has movies and things on there too. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go there right now and, and uh, see if that thing is going gonna, is gonna to pull up. Well, I checked over there, and it was kind of going to be a long shot anyway, whether that would be there. Again, it's kind of a harder movie to find, I, I, but I haven't you know, searched high and low on the internet, but I've gone to sort of all the usual suspects type thing and it's hard to find. So if it comes on TMC again, you know, DVR it, give it a watch. You'll get something out of it. It's an entertaining movie. It's a good story. It's well written. Um, there are going to be some grandiose actions and things like that, but I think you can get some enjoyment out of it. So that's my recommendation for that. It's time to whip out my pimp cane and beat some knowledge into your heads. So listen up, motherfuckers. All right, as always, uh, if you if you like uh, podcasts about movies, especially if you like things about the B movies, the older movies from the all the way up from the twenties to exploitation stuff, go over and check out um, B Movie Cast, and that's with Vince, and that's who uh, sent us in our voicemail today. And again, that's B Movie Cast, and you can find that on iTunes. A uh, really good podcast. I enjoy it. He and Nick Brown uh, do that show. Lots of listener involvement, lots of listener participation, which is a, a thing that I really like about his show as well. One of my favorite authors is also Scott Sigler, and you can find him over at scottsigler.com. Uh, he has several uh, different stories that are kind of like science fiction and horror combined. Uh, he's pretty prolific. He's got... Uh, lots of different stuff you can find him over at itunes you can also find him over at uh, patiobooks.com speaking of itunes i want to thank everybody that went over and left reviews or did ratings um, if you could go over if you've got uh, you know an extra five minutes or so and you could leave a review for me over at itunes an actual written one uh, if you like the show if you could go ahead and do that for me um, or even if you can just do the stars but the, like i've said before the more uh, stuff that we get, the more uh, reviews on there that we get, maybe the more people that will want to uh, listen to the show and will also want to be able to uh, send in reviews or give recommendations for us. That's going to wrap it up for us today. I'll see you next time, my monkeys. This guy's got a monkey scrotum and he's bragging about it. Oh, teeny.